Jerry, hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm excellent, Mike. Thanks for having me. How, how was the reunion? Did you have fun over the weekend? Uh, I did. It was a blast. Got to see a lot of old friends and people I haven't seen in many years. And uh, celebrate VCU baseball, which is uh, a little more on the map than it was 30 years ago. That's pretty cool. Uh, you, I assume you've been watching the postseason. Uh, it's been really an entertaining, I think, postseason. Uh, watching the game the other day and the you know sort of missed strike three call in the ninth inning that that, that went against Ivaldi. Where do you stand on the whole robo ump controversy? Would would you want to see computers calling balls and strikes? Yeah, I, I I think there's some combination of you know the human element behind the plate in conjunction with the the ABS that that makes sense for baseball. We have the technology; it's there, and you know if you can be accurate a hundred percent of the time, then you should do that. And you know it's a, I think it's a benefit to the players, to the quality of the game, and and uh, and I think the umpires are are adapting and adjusting to the inevitability of that as well. So you don't care. I mean, I I I don't I don't have a good argument against not wanting robo ums, other than that I kind of just don't want them. But I always see like the you know a pitch where the pitcher clearly misses his spot and he pulls the catcher's glove halfway across and it sort of just nicks the top or the edge of the zone and it's usually called a ball because it's not a good pitch. You're okay with you'd rather have those be called correctly than the missed calls. Is that what you're saying? Well, I, you know, I guess on this one, I'll flash back to a different lifetime. I threw plenty of good pitches that got hit really hard, <laughs> and I threw plenty of hanging sliders that they missed. And, you know, I, I think the, I'll go to the school of sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And, you know, if it if it crosses through the strike zone, and, and that's the, the, the way the, the ABS defines it, mm. then I think that's fair. It's, uh, you know, we... I can't imagine in other sports that there are not instances where, you know, a player experiences some type of success, despite the fact he was probably trying to do something else. <laughs> and, you know, it's, uh, that's just part of the game. The other thing I was wondering watching this postseason is just the usage of pitchers and starting pitchers, pitching later in games and only going short times, relief pitchers, bullpen games. It sure seems like the traditional use of the pitcher has changed entirely in the postseason. And especially over the last two years. And, and while I do think it's a developing trend, especially in the postseason, uh, I, I think it is a developing trend in part because of what we're trying to deal with as an industry coming back from COVID. Uh, with the shortened 2020 season, abbreviated, abbreviated inning totals, what we're looking at this year with, you know, with, with starting pitchers who last year threw 70 or 80 innings this year, we're ramping up their workload, you know, to 170, 180, you know, they're, they're tired. And I, I think some of the, the, what we're seeing now is strategy. Some of it is necessity to try to adapt to, to the world that we've been living in these last couple of years. As you look at these four teams that are left, are, are there, and as, as a team that's trying to get there where they are right now, are there common themes that you notice about the way these four teams were built that you can, that you can use or take advantage of in some way? Yeah, every one of them is a little bit different, and they're all pretty complete. And I, I wish I could tell you I, I could view the, the Mariners as a future Dodgers, where every player on the field seems to be an all-star. <laughs> but you know, it's a, it's, they're 
they're all loaded and it just gives you a bar that you have to try to meet. And the one commonality among them is if you look at the core of those teams, there are a lot of players that started their careers there, either developing through their system or being acquired when they were young. And then they grow up with that group. And, and that's what we've tried to emulate here with the Mariners. And, you know, I, I look at it, it, I watch those teams, the, the Uriuses and the Luxes and the Bellingers. And, you know, they, they've, that they've always been Dodgers and, we, we know the Astros with the Altuve's and the Correa's and, and Framber and, and Jordan. They're, these guys these guys have always been Astros. And, and I, I think that's something that, that we aspire to have as a core of players that came up together and, and when they're ready to, to really flourish, they're, they're familiar with one another and, and they play well together. Did you have a chance to read uh, what Mitch Haniger wrote in the Players' Tribune? I did. I loved it. Uh, immediately sent him a text and and yeah, it, it, anything that that is well thought out, that is heartfelt, like that, I believe was heartfelt. Uh, that did not come in thirty seconds of reaction or, or you know emotionality. That was a well thought out from the heart piece, and and I thought it was incredibly well done. And I thought Mitch gave us a little window into the way he thinks or where his mind is right now, and and I thought it was refreshing and and. You know, I, I sent him a simple text, amazing. You know, I, I thought it was really well done, and, and it hit the heart. And I agree with him, frankly, on, on almost everything he said. I love that he says, I hope the other teams in the league are reading this and they understand we're about to get after it in the offseason. We're coming for one of those playoff spots and more. I, I think that's a really almost kind of you know, goosebump-inducing kind of a quote. When we had when we had talked about Mitch uh, before the season ended, I, I know you had said, and I was asking you about the uh, about the possibility of an extension. I know it takes two parties to reach an extension. Does this give you some hope or or optimism that that maybe Mitch is interested in being here long term? I've never not had hope that Mitch wants to be here long term. I, I believe that that he enjoys playing here. I know he loves the city. And I know he loves his teammates. This is a, you know, it's a very close team emotionally. I, if I did have a sense as to whether an extension was possible, I wouldn't air it on the radio this morning. But I, I've always had the belief that this is where Mitch wants to be. And, and if that works out and we're able to come together on it uh, somewhere down the road, then, then that'll be a wonderful outcome for both of us. Uh, I was reading Buster only. He was uh, writing about the five big shortstops that are on the market this offseason. Seager, Correa, Story, Semyon, Baez. Obviously, you have a shortstop, but but a few of those, if not all of those players, could also play elsewhere in the infield. And he mentions the Mariners as being a possible suitor and, and in on a few of those. I know you're not going to tell us exactly what your plans would be, but when you when you go and look at a big, high-priced free agent acquisition like that, what are you? What what qualities are you looking for to make sure you have so that you get it right? Well, I, we want to know that the person fits in our clubhouse with our group, and you know every one of those players is a great player, and they all do it a little bit differently. And you know, for us, one of the the key elements is we have a shortstop that we love, and you know, JP's our shortstop, and and we feel like he is you know an anchor on our infield and and an emotional leader for our team. So one of the things that's important to us is finding a player who is adaptable and, and willing to, to move around the field and, and, and maybe get a little uncomfortable. And, and there's some of those guys that already have done that in their career. Guys like Simeon and Baez have done that. And, you know, that, that kind of selflessness is, is a big deal for us. And, and that also speaks well of how the player will fit in our clubhouse. But, you know, the, 
the combination of, of quality play, of, of high character, of, of leadership traits. And, and with all of those guys, you know, one thing that they bring to the table is they bring postseason experience. And, you know, it's a, that's also an element that we are not, I guess, we're not going to be dumb to this offseason. We know where we want to go, and the more we can add players who've been there, the better off we are. How, what is the process like of wooing a big-name free agent like that? I mean, it's not somebody who's desperate for a job and, and hey, will you please sign me? I mean, you, you, I would assume almost have to make a pitch and, and start the process early. How do you go about that process? It is. I mean, you are making a pitch. You're, you're, you're pitching that free agent on your city, on your organization, on what you have to offer. And I think as with any player in our league, the, the thing that, that they will uh, gravitate towards first is what can you do to help me get better? Because every player, no matter how great they are, they, they all, the reason why they're great is they're always striving to get better and they want to know that you have systems and programs and coaches and, and high performance personnel that can help them take it to a different level. And, you know, and that's going to be part of the pitch. And, you know, we, we had, we've had great practice with this in the past, I guess, most notably during the, the recruitment mm-hmm. of Shohei Otani. Uh, I've, I've done this in, in past lifetimes where you, you get in front of the player and you just, you, you re- reference all of the things your club has to offer. And then you empower the people around you, you know, the players on the team, the staff, you know, members of the community to, to help and, and really pitch in because we're not just selling the Mariners, we're selling Seattle and the, and the experience in Seattle because, you know, when you're talking about that type of, of quality of player, you're probably not talking about a contract that's going to land them here for a year. Right. <laughs> so it's a, you're selling something considerably different than just a moment in time. Well, maybe just print out uh, the Mitch Haniger article and put it down there as you're uh, trying to sell that, hey, this is the kind of atmosphere we've built here. Look what Mitch just wrote. Let's come be a part of this thing, huh? Or just have Mitch give him a ring and tell him. <laughs> there you go. Seriously. <laughs> hey, Mitch, need you. Make a phone call. Help me out a little here. This is good. Uh, as usual, Jerry, I feel like we could keep going, but we will do it again next week. Thanks for doing this throughout the off season. Enjoy the postseason, and uh, we'll talk again next week. Sounds good, Mike. All right, there you go. There's Jerry DePoto, who joins us every week, Thursday at 830. And, hey, I will say that's a little bit more positive. On the Mitch Haniger front, I think, than we'd heard before. And, and obviously, we're always reading into it. It's not like Jerry has said, we will, we won't, et cetera. But I, I felt like that was a positive step if you were somebody that thinks that Mitch Haniger should be here long term. And, you know, look, I, I'll read too much into it. He mentioned Semyon and Bias. He didn't mention the other three. So I don't know whether that means anything, but I'll read a little into it.